All right, so understanding your religion, seven major doctrines that define the Christian faith, lesson number 11. And we're looking at the sub-doctrine of atonement, which is God's method of reconciliation. This is part two. All right. So let's do a little bit of a review by looking at our chart. As I said, we're not examining every single doctrine or teaching of the Bible. We're studying the major, the major or important doctrines of the Bible. There are hundreds of doctrines. You know. How did you, you know, for example, how would you select a priest in the, in the priesthood, uh, for the priesthood in the Old Testament? You know, that, that was a teaching, that was a doctrine, but it's not a major doctrine. All right? So there are a lot of different teachings in the Bible. What we're trying to do is focus on those doctrines which actually define, um, define our faith. Of course, all teaching in the Bible is important because all of it comes from God. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, right? So we're not, we're not saying some teaching is not important. We're just saying that there are some, some doctrines that actually define our faith, help us to define it. Okay, so the, the doctrines we're talking about are foundational, and without an understanding of these, the other doctrines are hard to understand in context. For example, without the knowledge of the doctrine of the divinity of Jesus Christ, it is very difficult to accept the teaching on the authority of the apostles. Why should we listen to the teaching of the apostles right? if Christ is not divine? If Christ is divine and He gives His teaching to the apostles and He commands them to go and teach everyone to obey His doctrines, well, okay, that makes sense. Why should I accept the authority of the apostles? Well, because Jesus, the divine one, has given these men who are not divine, but he has given them authority to teach. See what I'm saying? So they're, they're, they're foundational. Uh, in this course, we're studying seven of the important doctrines. So far in our study, we've looked at the first five in the group of seven. First is inspiration of the Bible. The content of the entire Bible is given by God and recorded by human beings without error. Basically that's what the doctrine of inspiration says. And you'll always, you'll always know if somebody wants to attack the Bible or something they will always begin by trying to undermine this idea. Well you know, they'll say well yeah we know it's inspired in places. <laughs> you know. Well, maybe Genesis is not inspired. Genesis is just a myth. You know. The rest, though, is inspired. You know, anytime they try to undermine it, they will always try to undermine it by uh, you know, claiming that certain parts or certain teachers were not inspired. Uh, the divinity of Christ basically says that Jesus is fully man and fully divine. Anything less than that is not the doctrine of the divinity of Christ. Uh, the doctrine of original goodness. The idea, uh, not the idea, but the teaching that says that man was created by God with a free will and without sin. That's the doctrine of original goodness. Uh, next doctrine, the fall of man. Man was separated from God and made subject to death because of his, uh, because of his disobedience. But here's the key point. However, he does retain his free will. So man is weakened, his nature is weakened because of sin, yes, but not to the point where he cannot make a choice, 
where he cannot understand uh, the gospel. Uh, and then the doctrine of reconciliation. The doctrine of reconciliation is God's plan to reconcile man to himself through Jesus Christ. That's the doctrine of reconciliation. God making the effort to bring man back to a, a right relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. Okay, so those are the first five major doctrines. Now I said that the fifth major doctrine, reconciliation, it is explained in the Bible using 10 sub-doctrines. And a lot of times people get confused with the sub-doctrine and the main doctrine. So the main doctrine is reconciliation. There are 10 sub-doctrines that actually explain reconciliation. And those are the doctrine of election. The sub-doctrine of election says God chooses Jesus Christ to carry out His plan for reconciliation. That's the doctrine of election. Not God chooses some to be saved and some to be lost. No, that's Calvinism. The biblical doctrine of election says God makes a choice. He chooses Jesus, you. You will be the instrument of reconciliation. That's the doctrine of election. The doctrine of predestination says that God knows in advance that His plan will work. That's a doctrine of predestination. He knows in advance that in His choice of Christ, Christ will accomplish His plan of reconciliation. That's the sub-doctrine of predestination. And then you have the doctrine of atonement. Let me see if I've got a slide for that. Okay. Doctrine of atonement uh, explains the method that God will use to accomplish reconciliation. So someone says, what's the difference between the doctrine of election and the doctrine of atonement? Well, the doctrine of election describes who's going to do the work. The doctrine of atonement describes how reconciliation is going to be accomplished. See what I'm saying? So election, who's going to do the reconciliation? Atonement, how is he going to do it? Okay. And how is he going to do it? A perfect, sinless, divine life will be offered to pay the moral debt owed to God by all men. That's what is done. Sinless because that's the quality required to atone for sin. Divine because that's the value required to atone for all the sins of all men. So being sinless means he has the right to offer his life because God requires a sinless sacrifice. Being divine explains the value of his life, the innate value. Remember I gave you an example. You have a pound of copper and you have a pound of gold. They're both metal. They both weigh a pound. But the value of gold is much beyond the value of copper. You have a human life. You have the divine life. The human life has value, the divine life has value, but the divine life has much greater value. Therefore, it can purchase the, the, the sins, the lives of, of everyone. Whereas a human life could only be exchanged for one other human life. One life for one life. Jesus' divine nature means He can offer that life with the divine nature and the value of that nature equals the life of everyone. Okay. 
All right, so we have the language of atonement because there are a variety of ways to express the action and the results of the doctrine of atonement. In other words, the Bible has language that doesn't use the word atonement, but it's actually describing atonement. Okay? For example, when you see something that suggests the payment for the debt of sin, well, what, what, what is the author talking about? Well, he's talking about atonement. When he's talking about in terms of payment for sin, that's atonement. Or satisfaction for God's justice. What's going on there? What's that talking about? Well, that's talking about atonement. Or the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. The preacher is saying that in a sermon. Jesus' sacrifice pays for our sins or the person doing the devo before the communion. What are they saying? What are they talking about? They're talking about atonement. They're always in various ways they're describing atonement. So these and many other expressions explain the idea that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross satisfies God's justice and permits Him to express His love towards us by offering forgiveness and reconciliation. Because there's a wall between God and man. Sin is there. Jesus, through His atonement, takes that wall away and permits the reconciliation to go forth. So the atonement of Christ demonstrates that we could never satisfy God's justice and obtain forgiveness on our own. We can't do it. We might want to try to do it, but we're not possible. It's not physically or spiritual possible. Only Jesus can do this. We can, however, accept the forgiveness offered to us by God now that Jesus has made restitution on our behalf. That we can do. So Peter says in 1 Peter, 2 verse 24, and he, speaking of Jesus, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. Do you see the word atonement in there anywhere? No, but this is exactly what he is describing. Okay? Jesus is doing something that removes the wall takes away, pays for sin, all the language of atonement. Now it's important to understand that Jesus has made full restitution for our sins. This is so important. More people suffer angst and guilt, a lifetime of a burdened soul because they don't understand this very important idea. This here is the heart and the soul of the gospel. If the gospel were an onion and you were peeling it down to its core, we are at its core here. We cannot add or contribute to the payment for sin in any way with good deeds, sincerity, or personal sacrifice. Now a lot of people are under the impression that repentance is our way to make restitution with God for our sins. Wrong. Wrong. For example, we make restitution, for example, some people think we make restitution for our sins uh, uh, through our repentance and whatever we can't do, Jesus makes up for it on the cross. So we owe God a debt, for a moral debt, right, for our sins. Some people are under the impression when I repent, the things that I repent of, you know, I used to smoke, I quit smoking. I used to curse like a sailor. I, 
all due respect to say, you know, I, I stop cursing, you know. So those are the things that I'm doing to make up for the, you know, to make restitution for the things that I did wrong. And then whatever I can't do, then Jesus tops it up by His sacrifice on the cross. So wrong. Wrong. Jesus makes 100% restitution for every single sin that we have ever, ever made. That's the good news. <laughs> Where's the good news if I've got to make restitution for my sins? Okay, I used to swear, okay, I clean up my act, you know, I try to avoid, you know, when I get angry, I just go, oh shoot, instead of you know, a long string of curves. Yeah, okay, maybe I do that. But what do I do about the guy that I lied about two years ago that got him fired because I wanted his job? Exactly how do I make restitution for that? Or the woman who had an abortion when she was younger, how exactly is she going to make restitution for that. Okay. Salvation is not a 12-step program for alcoholics you know, where they try to go back and make things right with people that they've harmed with their addiction. That's AA. That's the 12-step program. The gospel is not the 12-step program. Now, this going back and trying to fix things, you know, this may help mend relationships with people here on earth, but it does not repair the separation with God on account of our failures. If I steal from you and then years later I, I'm sorry about that and I go back and I tell you I stole from you and I give you back the money with interest, that takes care of it between you and me. But that doesn't take care of it between me and God. I still broke his law. Thou shalt not. You know, I still broke his law. How, how do I make up for it with him? So the doctrine of atonement teaches that Jesus' sacrifice makes restitution with God for all of our sins. Acts 22, 16. You know the story of Paul. He's blinded. Ananias goes to see him, preaches the gospel to him. He removes the scale miraculously from his eyes. He sees, so on and so forth. And then what does Ananias say to him? Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. I want you to note one thing. Saul, the persecutor of Christians, he jailed them. He tortured them. He was responsible for the death of many of them is told to wash away all of his sins. Why? Because Jesus made restitution with God for all the evil that he had done by his cross. You know why I know this? Because there's no record of Saul ever going back to apologize or make restitution for all the evil that he had done. Is there anywhere in the New Testament where you see Paul visiting prisons. Do you realize when he became a Christian there may have still been Christians who were in jail because of what he did? How does he fix that one? So this is what we mean when we say that we can't contribute anything towards our salvation, towards paying the price on making restitution with God. 
I'm not saying we don't participate in our salvation. I'll get that to that in a moment. What I'm saying is we do not make restitution. Christ makes restitution. You know, like the song says, you know, Jesus paid it all. What do you think we're talking about when the author of that song? What, what's, what's, that, what's that person saying? Atonement is the doctrine that this song is talking about. Remember I said this is a kind of theological course here. So someone will say, well, wait a minute. What about repentance and what about baptism? Of course, these repentance, baptism, confession of Christ, all of these things, they have a place in the process of reconciliation, but we don't exchange these things for forgiveness. It's not like, oh, that's the price I have to pay in order to get the forgiveness. I got to repent. I got to be back. You know, I give those things and what I get you know, is my sins. No. In other words, repentance and baptism are not acts that make restitution for our sins. It's the cross of Christ that does that particular work. And it's the thing that we're accused of all the time by evangelical. Oh, you people, you know, baptism is a work, you know, or you, know, you people are legalistic because you, you know, it's all the time such a misunderstanding that they have. Well, and a misunderstanding many times based on the kind of preaching we've done in the past that gives that suggestion. We turn baptism into a work. We turn confession of Christ into a work. Somehow we give the impression that we're exchanging these things for our salvation. No wonder they accuse us of being legalistic. It is legalistic. That's not the gospel. Some people are wondering, you know, why the church, you know, why, is it, why is it not growing very fast? If you don't preach the pure gospel, you don't grow. There's nothing good about the good news. Nothing good about the good news if I got to do something because I got to continue doing stuff. And in, when people come into the body of Christ under that impression, then everything they do is a work. They, they never get rid of the feeling that they're always paying off their debt. What a burden. What a burden. So reconciliation is possible because restitution has been made by Jesus on our behalf and is offered on the condition that God has always required from His people. What's that condition? Faith. Reconciliation and forgiveness are offered to us based on our faith, not our personal goodness or sacrifice or our ability to make restitution for our sins. So God offers reconciliation to us based on faith because Christ has made restitution for us with His atoning death on the cross. Why is that? You know, why, why is it that that's the deal? He offers this in exchange for faith. Why faith? Well, we have well, faith because we only have faith to offer because we don't have anything else we can give. We can't exchange a perfect life. We can't exchange works. We, we don't have those to give. The only thing we got to give is faith. Why? Because it's the only thing we control. Remember the doctrine of original goodness? Remember the doctrine of the fall? It's important. See how these things get connected. The doctrine of the fall says we're sinners. We're weakened. But we still have free will. We're still able 
to decide. Okay, so if that doctrine is in place, then when we move over to the gospel part, to the atonement doctrine that says God offers salvation based on faith, what does that mean? Well, it means that we, sinners, weakened by sin, can still choose to believe. We still control that. I can still say yes to God as He offers me salvation. Or I can say no to God. That's still in my power. I still have that to offer. Okay? So here's the thing. Okay, so God exchanges salvation for faith, right? How do I express that faith? There's a million ways to express faith. Thankfully, the Bible explains how God has given us to express that faith. First of all, He tells us to believe. That's an expression of faith. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. So part of my expression of faith is believing, making a decision, accepting as true what the gospel says about Jesus Christ, that He is the Son of God and what He has done for us. Another expression of faith in the process of salvation, because salvation is a process. And I, I digress here just a tiny bit. I'm, I'm asking you to hold all these thoughts in your mind at once. This business of you know, uh, doing all of these things, believing, repenting, doing all of that in one day, that's good on paper, but doesn't work like that in real life. I started repenting of my sins long before I actually understood what it was I had to believe. And I know a lot of people who believed, they had the information you know, and they believed it as true, but it took them a long time to really start repenting or having the courage to confess or coming to the point where they understood that they needed to you see what I'm saying? It doesn't happen in a 24-hour period. You can explain it in five minutes, but not everybody does it in five minutes. So please understand, that's why I use the term the process of salvation. The process of salvation is how we learn and begin to express that faith that God requires from us for salvation. So the first step, logically, it isn't always the first step, but logically, is belief. The next step is repentance. Repentance, Paul, uh, Peter says, Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, what is he offering? He's offering salvation. What's he saying? Repent. Now notice he didn't say make restitution. He said repent. It's a big difference. Repentance is a conscious decision to do away with sin in our lives by first of all acknowledging it and then turning away from it because of Christ. It took me a long time to understand that my repentance needed to be in the context of my belief in Jesus. At first, my repentance in my own life 
was simply fueled by, if I don't repent, I'm going to die. If I keep doing drugs and alcohol and living at the pace that I'm living at at this moment, I'm not going to make it to be 50 years of age. I, I, I got to put the brakes on just to save myself. And it's only much later as I began reading the Bible and so on and so forth that I understood, oh, wait a minute, the repentance needs to be in the context of faith in Christ. Oh, I get it. That took like two years, imagine, to get to that point. I didn't grow up in the church. I mean, I grew up in the Catholic church, but we never had classes like this in the Catholic church. Okay? So repentance. Repentance is not restitution. It is a decision that from here forward, I'm going to put away sin in my life. I have a different attitude towards sin. I don't want to do it anymore. I can't do anything about the sins in the past. Thankfully, Jesus makes restitution for all those sins. But in the future, I still have a choice. I can still work with that. Third expression of faith, confession. As they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Acts 8, 36 and 37. Confession, the acknowledgement that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Lord, that through Jesus I am saved. All of these things. It's not the confession of your sins, as a former Catholic, to think it was confession of all my sins. Well, no, God already knows what my sins are. He knows those. I don't have to confess those. No, no, it's my acknowledgement that I believe that He's the Son of God, the foundation upon which my salvation is based. And then, of course, baptism. Jesus Himself, I like to use His own words, He who has believed and has been baptized. Grammar, isn't that a wonderful thing, grammar? The word and is a conjunction. Thankfully, my wonderful Catholic education, I learned a lot about grammar. And is a conjunction. When you have a conjunction, it means that the thing that is before it and the thing that are after it are equal and connected. So Jesus, the authority himself, says those who believe, we understand what that means, and conjunction, are baptized. How anyone, anyone who knows anything about grammar and has read Mark 16, 16 can say that baptism is not necessary, is not part of the process of salvation, does not know grammar and knows even less the gospel. Okay. So baptism, we know it's immersion, we know what it means. It means immersion in water. Why? Because grammar, once again, baptizo, the Greek word, means immersion. There are other words for sprinkle and pour. Those are different Greek words, but the Holy Spirit chose to use the word baptizo. It means to immerse or to be plunged. And we know that that's what it means because in the movies on AD, the, the, the series, you know, I'm a little tongue in cheek here, but you know, the series on the Bible, you know, AD, you know, when you see people being baptized, they're all being baptized you know, by immersion. Although they do it the, they do it the way that, that they've seen it done in the modern era where the guy holds his nose, you know, even Jesus holding his nose. You know, John the Baptist brings him. There's some studies that show that the form of immersion has changed you know, throughout the centuries. You know, sometimes they go forward. 
Sometimes they go straight down. Sometimes in the early church they were baptized with no clothes on, simply to acknowledge the, the new birth. They were like babies. So anyways, that's just a, a cultural thing. We do know it's immersion uh, in water, in the name of or because of our faith. Everything I do is because of my faith in Christ. I acknowledge His name because I believe. I repent. I make a change about what I think about sin. Why? Because I believe. I'm immersed in the water. Why? Because I believe. So baptism cleanses the conscience because of uh, the faith that we have in Christ. And then of course faithfulness. He says, you'll be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Matthew 10 verse 22. Remain faithful to Christ until death. So the thing that you need to notice about all these, you know, the process of salvation, these expressions of our faith, faith is the active ingredient that gives these expressions their power. Okay? So Responding to God with a proper expression of faith is not a work. It is not legalism. It is faith that is obeying in love. Jesus said, if you love me, you will, you will obey me. Right? I believe Him. I believe, that's why it's step number one usually. And because I believe in Him and believe Him who He is to be, then I also accept what he tells me that I need to be doing. Yes, I need to be repenting. I need to acknowledge his name. I need to be immersed in his name. I need to remain faithful. Yes, yes, all those things. Expressions of faith. So there are a lot of ways you know, to express one's faith in God. And the religions of the world have produced thousands of different actions, traditions, ceremonies, so on and so forth, that are expressions of some kind of faith in a supreme being. People do stuff all the time because of their faith in their God. They burn fires, they wear you know, clothes, they shave their heads, they go on pilgrim. You ask them, why are you doing this? Because of faith in my God, Allah, whoever. But the five things that I have mentioned here, these are things that Jesus has taught that we are to do in order to respond to Him. Faith in Him, faith to receive forgiveness requires these expressions. All others are useless since they are not given by Jesus. You know what? I could cut my arm off to show my faith in Jesus. I mean, am I, is that something fantastic? Nobody could say I'm not zealous or dedicated. I'm willing to have my arm cut off to say to Jesus, I believe. Only one thing about that. He didn't ask me to do that, thankfully. There are some people that would actually cut their arm off, if it, but they won't be baptized. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. And we could drill down on each one of these things to explore them, but that's not the purpose of this particular, of this particular class. So let's kind of summarize, because we've had a lot of stuff here. First of all, man is helpless. Why? Because he's a sinner and will ultimately be condemned by God for being a sinner. And even if he wanted to, he couldn't give to God the perfect life necessary to pay for his sins, let alone the divine life to pay for everybody else's sins. Secondly, the divine solution is atonement. 
God solves this problem by sending Jesus to live a perfect life and offer it up in death as a payment for the sins of men. That's the language of atonement, the doctrine of atonement, God paying the sins of man through Christ. Thirdly, because of this, God now is free to offer forgiveness to all men through Jesus Christ. He couldn't do it before, why? There was a thing that was in the way, sin and the consequences of sin and the justice required because of sin, that was blocking that. Through His atonement, Jesus removes that obstacle and permits God's love to be offered to mankind. Fourth, man responds to God with faith. Man cannot, when I say man, I mean mankind, cannot earn God's forgiveness, but can appropriate or take for himself forgiveness for sins through faith in Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody ever say to you that we in the churches of Christ don't believe in the, in the, in the, in the, the idea of salvation by faith. We absolutely do believe that. That, that is a biblical doctrine. Salva salvation is by faith. Why? Because it's not by works. It's not salvation by knowledge. It's not salvation by work. It's not salvation by doing good. It's, not, it's salvation based on a process of faith. We, you know, the big difference between us and the people across the street, they say the same thing. right? Where we don't agree is that faith is expressed in a particular way that God has outlined in the New Testament. That's the difference. Okay? So we, we, we can't earn the forgiveness, but we can, we can appropriate it. We can take it for ourselves. How? Through a process of faith. Next. Faith is expressed through belief and repentance, confession, baptism, and faithfulness. So how, how, you know, why would God do this? Because you know what? Everybody in the world would then select their own particular way of expressing their faith. Well, I believe in Jesus. Clap three times. Okay. I'll let you know that I really believe God. Clap three times. Snap your fingers. Cut off your arm. Walk a mile. You know, go on broken glass. Whatever. So God removes the possibility of that kind of confusion and very clearly in the New Testament gives not only information but examples of how people expressed their faith in a biblical way. They believed in Christ, repented of their sins, they acknowledged their faith, they were baptized, they began to follow Jesus faithfully. So when we combine the first three sub-doctrines of election, predestination, and atonement in one sentence, we can say, God always knew that those in Christ would be saved by His atonement. Okay. So please be careful. When you're talking about salvation to somebody, you're sharing your faith and you're actually you know, getting down to the details of it. When somebody, say, when somebody says, what's the plan of salvation? Biggest mistake we've ever made, in my opinion, one man's opinion. What's the plan of salvation? Right? right away people say, oh, the plan of salvation? Believe, repent, confess, be baptized, be faithful. There's the plan of salvation. Wrong. 
That's not the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation is God chose Jesus to make atonement for the sins of all men. That's the plan of salvation. Well, what about these five steps? That's the response of man to the plan of salvation. So if you're wondering sometimes, well, I explained the plan of salvation and they didn't get it or they didn't respond. Well, that's because you didn't give them any good news. You just gave them stuff to do. Give them the good news. Tell them that Jesus makes restitution for all the dumb, stupid, nasty, evil things that they've done in their life by His death on the cross. That's good news. And that will evoke, provoke an answer. Oh, wonder, you mean for me he did that? Yeah. Well, what do I do? Oh, OK. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Believe. You see what I'm saying? So let's preach the good news, but let's not neglect also to tell people how to respond to the good news. There's, there's two parts to this. There's a process to it. First, we explain and preach the good news. And then we follow up by explaining the response to that good news according to the New Testament. Okay? All right, that's it for this class. We continue. We're at the halfway mark next week.